You're listening to the RBN Energy Blogcast. This is an audio version of RBN Energy's daily blog, the oil and gas industry's go-to source for insight. Every day, we cover commodity fundamentals, industry changes, and developing trends across energy markets. And now, we're making it easier than ever to enjoy our blogs. Whether it's on your drive into work, while you're at the office, or at home walking the dog, settle in, turn the volume up, and enjoy. Sunday, February 28, 2021. Don't want to lose you. How Closing DAPA Would Impact Bakken Crude Oil Producers. Published by Housley Carr. When it finally came online in mid-2017, the Dakota Access Pipeline was a lifesaver for Bakken crude oil producers. For years, they had suffered from takeaway capacity shortfalls that forced many shippers to rely on higher costs, crude by rail, sapping producer profits in the process. Then came DAPL, which provides straight-shot pipeline access to a key Midwest oil hub, and its sister pipe, the Energy Transfer Crude Oil Pipeline, ECOP, which takes crude from there to the Gulf Coast. Problem solved? Right? Not exactly. Now, there's at least an outside chance that a shutdown order is issued as soon as early April in connection with the ongoing federal district court process, with the timeline for a physical closure of the pipe still to be determined. A shutdown may last for only a few months but could potentially last much longer. Where does this uncertainty leave Bakken producers, many of whom have been hoping to benefit from the recent run-up in crude oil prices by ramping up their output this spring? Today, we discuss recent upstream and midstream developments in the U.S.'s second-largest shale-type oil play. The title of the blog we posted in the weeks leading up to the Dakota Access Pipeline's commercial startup three-plus years ago said it all, what a difference a DAPL makes. As we noted then, the Bakken was one of the earliest, and biggest, successes of the shale era. Forecasters routinely underestimated how quickly crude oil production in western North Dakota would grow. For one thing, many failed to appreciate the ability of producers to increase their drilling and completion efficiencies, for another, it was remarkable how rapidly the midstream sector responded to the Bakken serious, and growing, pipeline takeaway shortfalls in the first half of the 2010s by building more than 20 terminals where oil could be loaded into rail tank cars for delivery via existing rail networks. In slow train coming, our 2016 drill-down report on crude by rail, we discussed the fact that railroads by late 2014 were transporting more than two-thirds of the 1.2 million barrels per day of oil then being produced in North Dakota, and that while incremental new pipeline capacity came online in 2015 to 2016, DAPL would be the real game-changer. When the new pipe started up, crude by rail volumes plummeted to less than 150,000 barrels per day, mostly to serve refinery customers on the east and west coasts. Initially built to transport up to 470,000 barrels per day and most recently increased to a capacity of 570,000 barrels per day, with an expansion to approximately 750,000 barrels per day being planned, the 1,172-mile. Mostly 30-inch diameter pipeline begins with a hairpin turn through the core of the Bakken production area then makes a beeline to the crude oil hub in Patoka, Illinois. There, most of the oil is either distributed to refineries in the Midwest or sent south to Nederland, Texas on the 744-mile ECOP, which also started up in mid-2017. The two pipes, collectively known as the Bakken Pipeline System, are co-owned by Energy Transfer, with about a 36% share Enbridge, at about 28%, Phillips 66 Partners, at about 25%, MPLX, at about 9%, and ExxonMobil, at about 2%. While it was being developed, DAPL was among the most controversial pipeline projects in the U.S., second only perhaps to TC Energy's Keystone XL, which remains in limbo, and only partially built, after President Biden canceled KXL's presidential permit his first day in office. 
Opposition to DAPL didn't stop when it began commercial operation 45 months ago today. On March 25, 2020, U.S. District Court Judge James Bosberg ruled in a lawsuit filed by the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers violated the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, when, in February 2017, it issued DAPL's developers an easement under Lake O, a large reservoir near the tribe's reservation in central South Dakota, without preparing an Environmental Impact Statement, or EIS. Three-plus months, later, on July 6, Bosberg ordered that the Corps' easement be vacated and that DAPL be taken out of service until the Corps completed the EIS, a process expected to take a year or more. The U.S. Court of Appeals on August 5 stayed the district court judge's order that the pipeline be shut down during the preparation of the EIS, and the Corps announced on September 10 that it had formally started the process of preparing the environmental report. On January 27, 2021, the Court of Appeals affirmed the parts of Bosberg's ruling vacating the Corps' Lake O easement and directing the Corps to finish the EIS but reversed the parts of Bosberg's ruling requiring the pipeline to be shut down. Separately, Judge Bosberg is considering a second motion filed by the Standing Rock Tribe for an injunction to shut down DAPL. After the Court of Appeals' late January ruling, Bosberg scheduled a February 10 status conference to discuss the tribe's injunction motion, and how the Corps expects to proceed now that the appellate court has confirmed that its easement is vacated. A day before the planned meeting, the Corps asked that it be delayed to April 9th, and Bosberg agreed. For its part, the Standing Rock Tribe has been arguing that, with the easement for Dapples Crossing under Lake O vacated, the pipeline should be shut down immediately and shouldn't be allowed to be restarted unless and until an EIS has been approved. Energy Transfer, which owns the largest share of Dapple and operates the pipeline, said during its quarterly earnings call on February 17 that the pipeline has been operating safely for almost four years now, and that it does not see a scenario under which the pipeline will be ordered offline. Neither DraftKings nor FanDuel is taking bets on whether DAPL will remain in operation, and we're not about to predict what a judge, or the Corps of Engineers, might decide. What we can do, though, is, one, note that there is a new administration in charge in Washington, D.C., and that the core under President Biden may take a different view than it did under President Trump, and two, consider what the market impacts might be if DAPL were shut down for a few months until a favorable EIS is completed, shut down permanently if the core ultimately fails to issue an EIS or is ordered to operate at a reduced level if and until an EIS is in hand. Regarding the core, while the agency is staffed almost entirely by career professionals, its stance on environment-related issues such as wetlands protection has frequently shifted with the political tides. In fact, in the waning days of the Obama administration the Corps determined that an EIS would be required before it could grant an easement for Dapples Crossing under Lake O, a decision that was quickly undone by the Corps under President Trump. While President Biden didn't take an official position on Dapples' future during last year's campaign, Vice President Harris last May was among a group of senators that filed a friend of the court brief supporting the Standing Rock Tribe's effort to shut the pipeline. If Dapple is shut down this spring, how would Bakken producers and shippers make do without the pipeline's 570,000 barrels per day of takeaway capacity? Back in July, when Judge Bosberg first ordered that the DAPL be taken offline, Bakken crude oil production in North Dakota was only beginning to recover from a sharp slowdown in the spring of 2020, when plummeting oil demand and prices resulted in drilling cutbacks, well shut-ins, and a decline in Bakken output to less than 900,000 barrels per day in both May and June from over 1.4 million barrels per day in the second half of 2019 and the first three months of 2020. Production rebounded to 1 million barrels per day in July, and generally hovered between 1.1 million barrels per day and 1.2 million barrels per day from August through December. 
the North Dakota Oil and Gas Division indicated in a February 12 presentation that it expects Bakken production to sag somewhat in both January and February due to the impacts of frigid, snowy weather, but to recover quickly this spring, assuming crude prices remain north of $55 per barrel, which looks likely since Bakken oil was trading above $62 per barrel on Friday. According to the North Dakota Pipeline Authority, an estimated 78%, or 930,000 barrels per day, of the nearly 1.2 million barrels per day produced in the North Dakota Bakken in December 2020 was transported out of the basin by pipeline, while 14%, or 170,000 barrels per day, was shipped to other points in the U.S. by rail, and 3%, or about 35,000 barrels per day, was trucked or railed to Canada. The other 5%, or about 60,000 barrels per day, was refined within the Bakken region. To assess the potential impacts of a possible DAPL closure, we need to examine the capacities of the various crude oil pipelines out of the Bakken as well as the capacities of the crude by rail terminals in western North Dakota that have continued to play important roles in providing egress for Bakken crude. In addition to DAPL, there are three primary pipeline networks that move crude out of the Bakken, Enbridge's 355,000 barrels per day system, True Company's 240,000 barrels per day Bakken area system, which includes the Four Bears and Belfouche pipelines, and Kinder Morgan's 88,000 barrels per day double-H pipeline. Also, True Company's previously announced plans to complete a new 150,000 barrels per day South Bend pipeline out of the Bakken by mid-2021, but we understand that those plans have been shelved. Many gathering systems in western North Dakota provide producers and shippers with some degree of optionality, that is, their crude can flow either to takeaway pipelines like DAPL or to nearby crude by rail terminals. These include Hess Midstream's Tioga Rail Terminal, which has the capacity to handle about 140,000 barrels per day of crude, Crestwood Audi Partners Crude Oil Loading Terminal, or Colt, Hub, which has about 1.2 million barrels of storage capacity and the ability to load up to 160,000 barrels per day, and Paradigm Midstream and Phillips 66 Partners jointly owned Palermo Rail Terminal, which has 440,000 barrels of crude storage capacity, half of it for rail operations and half for pipeline operations, and the ability to load up to 100,000 barrels per day onto unit trains. As we said, crude by rail isn't something Bakken producers and shippers only turn to when pipeline takeaway capacity is constrained. It's a takeaway option that is constantly employed, mostly due to the regular, generally steady demand for Bakken-sourced crude by refineries in Pad 5, or the West Coast, and, to a lesser degree, in Pad 1, or the East Coast. Simply put, when Bakken production was running at about 1.4 million barrels per day pre-pandemic, a total of about 300,000 barrels per day was being railed to pads 1 and 5, and when production sagged between 900,000 barrels per day and 1.2 million barrels per day, railed volumes declined to about 200,000 barrels per day. The fact that DAPL's co-owners are in the process of expanding the pipeline's capacity to approximately 750,000 barrels per day indicates to us that the pipeline has likely been running close to its existing capacity of 570,000 barrels per day, especially since Bakken production has rebounded to near 1.2 million barrels per day in recent months. To find an alternative way out of western North Dakota for more than 500,000 barrels per day of crude now estimated to be flowing on DAPL, we would anticipate that producers and shippers would first try to turn to the other pipelines out of the Bakken, the Enbridge and True Company systems, and Kinder Morgan's Double H, which have a combined capacity of about 680,000 barrels per day, which is 355 plus 240 plus 88. Kinder has said that Double H was running close to full in January. Neither Enbridge nor True Companies has said anything.
Switching from DAPL to another pipeline would only be possible, of course, if the gathering system involved is connected to the pipe and if there is capacity available not only on it but on linked pipelines further downstream. It would be totally understandable for Bakken producers, shippers, and midstreamers to be considering what-if scenarios and making contingency plans just in case DAPL is shut down. We know of at least one example, Crestwood, which owns the 150,000 barrels per day aero gathering system and has been transporting most of crude oil gathered on the system to market via DAPL, said during its February 23rd earnings call that to provide more takeaway options in the event of a DAPL closure it recently completed a new interconnection with True Company's Ford Bears Pipe. As we noted, many gathering systems that feed DAPL also have access to one or more crude by rail terminals. For instance, Crestwood's aero system can access the company's Colt hub. In many cases, Crude by rail would be at least an option for many producers and shippers now using DAPL, though transporting crude by rail typically adds $5 per barrel or more to shipping costs, depending on the destination. The bottom line is that while there is at least some ability for other pipelines and crude by rail terminals to absorb the oil now flowing out of the Bakken on DAPL, shutting down the largest pipeline out of the basin for a few months or more would force producers and shippers to find alternatives, increase takeaway costs for many, and reduce the price many Bakken producers would receive for their oil. Depending on the producer and its takeaway plans and whether crude oil prices remain at elevated levels, a scenario with a shutdown DAPL may well lead some to rein in their output until the pipeline is back online. One final point to note on what-if scenarios. In a recent regulatory filing, Phillips 66 said that it would be exploring extraordinary corporate transactions regarding its ownership position in Phillips 66 Partners, the entity that owns a piece of DAPL. They indicated that such transactions might include reorganization, consolidation, other take-private transactions, or even sale. In further statements, they said that they might not do anything, but were covering all possibilities to give the company the option to implement the best possible strategies, given current circumstances. Don't Wanna Lose You is written by Gloria Estefan, and appears as the seventh song on Estefan's debut solo album, Cuts Both Ways. Released as a single in June 1989, the song went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles Chart and the Hot Latin Songs Singles Chart. It has been certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America, or RIA. Personnel on the record were Gloria Estefan, on lead and backing vocals, Randy Barlow, Teddy Millay, on trumpet and backing vocals, Jorge Casas, on bass, programming, and backing vocals, Mike Scaglione, on sax, Ole Ostwald, on keyboards and programming, John Defaria, Paco Fana, and Michael Thompson. On guitar, Robert Rodriguez, on drums, Rafael Padilla, on percussion, Emilio Estefan Jr., on congas, Pito Echevarria, on piano, and John Slick, on programming. Cuts Both Ways was Estefan's final record made with the backing of Miami Sound Machine, whom she had been the lead singer with for a decade. It was her first album where she was featured as a solo artist. Recorded at Criteria Studios in Miami in 1988-89, it was produced by Emilio Estefan Jr., Jorge Casas, and Clay Ostwald. Released in July 1989, the LP went to number 8 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. It has been certified 3x platinum by the RIA. Five singles were released from the album. Gloria Estefan is a Cuban-American singer, songwriter, actress, and businesswoman. She was the lead vocalist for the Miami Sound Machine from 1977 to 1989. As a solo artist, she has released 14 studio albums, 14 compilation albums, 4 EPs, and 49 singles, and has sold more than 75 million records worldwide. Estefan has won three Grammy Awards, a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Music Awards, 
an MTV Video Music Award, a BMI Songwriter of the Year Award, and multiple Billboard Awards. She has received Kennedy Center Honors and the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and is a member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Estefan is also the owner of several successful restaurants in Florida. She continues to record and wants to do a final tour in Latin America when touring can safely resume. This has been the RBN Energy Blogcast. Thanks for listening.